0: We love it. We love the people. We love the spirit of this place, which is Jesus, of course. And it's always a joy to come and spend time with you. And on Sunday mornings, in the midst of all of the other stuff that's happening, you might not be able to tell because I'm generally running around looking stressed and distracted, which is kind of actually how I live. But it is a joy. And I'm glad to be with, here, with you here today. For those of you that were here last week, you would have heard Rob say, hey, bring all of your friends and neighbors, you know, Rod's preaching. And I I had this sudden feeling of dread in the pit of my stomach. (laughs) Way to to ratchet up the pressure, Rob. I'm really excited for that. And I mentioned it to him after the service. And in his typical self-effacing way, he said that he would have felt really awkward if he was promoting his own preaching. But for somebody else, hey, it's a no-brainer. He loved it, and he gave me this mischievous grin. Now, I can appreciate where he's coming from, but somehow it didn't help that feeling of dread that I've carried with me all week, which, by the way, does happen whenever I get up to speak in front of you guys. But be that as it may be, here we are, and it is the weekend after Thanksgiving. So first off, Happy Thanksgiving! And second of all, what kind of sermon are you expecting the weekend after Thanksgiving? A Thanksgiving sermon, of course! And, and so that is kind of what you're going to get. But I want to start with Thanksgiving and move into talking more about worship. So we'll end up slightly differently than we start. But first, starting with Thanksgiving, it's always a good thing to put aside time to remember the good things in our lives. And I'm grateful for President Lincoln declaring it a federal holiday back in 1863. And while having an official day of thanks is a really good thing, it's even more good, or for you grammar geeks out there, it's better, if you make it kind of a lifestyle, an attitude of thanksgiving. You know that there are scientifically proven benefits of being grateful? It's true. I mean, this same article was published in both Forbes and in Psychology Today, so you know it must be true. Seven scientifically proven benefits. One, gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Showing appreciation can actually help you make new friends. And gratitude improves your physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains and report feeling healthier than other people. Gratitude improves your psychological health. It reduces a multitude of potentially toxic emotions like envy and resentment and frustration. Gratitude enhances empathy and it reduces aggression, which is really a good thing, especially when you're driving on I-90 during rush hour. Gratitude helps people to sleep better. Gratitude improves your self-esteem. Gratitude increases your mental strength. So it reduces stress, and it may also play a major role in overcoming trauma. Interestingly, a study done by the University of California Berkeley showed that the gratitude in people has a lasting impact on your brain. So they divided their subjects into a control group and a group that did special gratitude exercises. Three months into the study, they did MRIs of some of the people in each group. And what they found out was that the brains of those who were doing the gratitude exercises actually changed in how they processed new information coming in and changed in a good way. So the benefits of gratitude then are scientifically proven, so they must be worthwhile, right? Keep in mind that a couple of thousand years prior to these studies, all throughout the Bible, this same attitude has been shown. Gratefulness is a good thing. And we've been working through the book of Colossians in a sermon series titled Does anybody know? <laughs> Experiencing joy? Did I hear? Yeah, that is the title. I actually had to look it up. I had to go back into my email and pull up the weekly vine. It's like, mm. Good rod, you know. But In the book of Colossians, Paul spends a lot of time telling the Colossian people to be thankful. Here's here's a few of the verses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Or chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Or chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So then, gratitude is just supposed to be part of our fabric as followers of Jesus. It's like the underlying foundation beneath everything. And after all, he has saved us. He paid the price with His own body and His own blood for our sins. And that was not because of anything good that any of us did. It was just because He wanted to, to the glory of God the Father. And He's invited us to draw near to Him simply because He loves us. And He's even promised to be with us now and for all eternity and really to be with us, not just abstract. My hope for all of us today is that we will connect with the love and the joy and the mercy of Jesus being filled with thankfulness as a result. Because it is a good thing. Now with that in mind, I kind of want to segue into talking about worship because the two are really kind of related in a lot of ways. not, Not that turkeys and worship are related but that thankfulness and worship are very closely related. So how do we express our gratitude? How do we connect with God in worship? And what happens when we worship? Now, I should tell you just right up front, worship is a really big topic. I, I borrowed a small stack of books from Stephen, and I had a stack of books to go aside alongside of that, and all of them talking extensively about worship. In a 35-minute sermon, or thereabouts, we can go maybe a millimeter deep, and it's kilometers wide, or an inch deep, a mile wide. But my goal today is to call us all to worship with abandon, because worship is foundational to our lives as Christians. We should worship with abandon in all circumstances, good and bad. There is a common thread with Thanksgiving, and the common thread even with the Thanksgiving table and the holiday that we have just been through, because when we come to the Thanksgiving table, we come with all kinds of mixed emotions, right? Getting together with family, and maybe you're dreading it, and maybe you're loving it, or maybe you're not getting together with family, and maybe you're dreading it or loving it. Maybe you're looking forward to the sheer gluttony, or maybe you're dreading the pain that comes afterwards. Maybe you're hoping just to get through it so that you can get home or perhaps prepare for Good Friday. uh, Black Friday, I should say. The two are not the same. But when we come to worship, or even when we come to church, it's kind of the same thing. We come with this whole mix of emotions. They're conflicting feelings, biases. It's just who we are. We may think, when we come to worship God, that we owe it to him. Therefore, we have to do it. And we may feel like God's going to spank us if we don't worship or if we don't go to church. We may feel that going to church is like doing penance. Anybody here with a Catholic background? I, I don't actually, but OK. So you should have laughed at that. It really was funny. I was sitting out in my backyard last summer, or a couple of summers ago, um, actually sitting in my neighbor's backyard around their fire pit with them. And we were you know, sipping wine and just chatting. It was a Saturday night. So I asked them, hey, are you guys going to church tomorrow? And my neighbor neighbor told me, no, I haven't done anything this week that I feel guilty about, so no, not going to go. And, you know, I, I thought, I've never looked at it from that perspective before. And yet I bet, even maybe for some of us, that going to church is like doing penance. Or maybe worshiping is just our habit. It's something we do, and just like any ingrained habit, we don't really think about it. But it's just kind of something we do. Or maybe we come to church because we long for community. Or maybe we come because we want to meet with God. We want to encounter God. All of these motives are real, and I've experienced each one of them with the exception of that penance one. And sometimes I experience them all at once. So it's worth maybe diving in a little bit deeper and peeling back a few layers of what this whole worship thing is. So let's ask a few questions. Number one, what is worship? Number two, why do we do worship? Number three, how should we worship? And number four, what happens when we worship? But let me start here, actually. This is point 0.5. Jesus invites everybody to worship him. It doesn't matter your background, or who you are, or what you've done, or anything else. It doesn't even matter where you worship. If Rob was here, he'd be looking at me nervously. You don't actually have to be in church to worship. Worship should happen everywhere, and it can happen anywhere, any circumstance. There's a story in the Gospel according to John, chapter 4, which illustrates this, I think, rather beautifully. Jesus is walking through Samaria, and he stops at a well, sending his disciples further into town to get some water. Or, to get something to eat, I'm so sorry. And a woman comes out to draw water. Jesus asks her to draw some for him, too. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, which, by the way, breaks all the cultural norms in, in that time. I want to just drill into a little part of their conversation, because if you look at the whole thing, it actually could be a whole sermon series, and we're not going to go there today. But she asks him at one point, where should people worship? Should it be at Mount Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans worshipped, or should it be in Jerusalem, which is where the Jews worship? And Jesus responds to her, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pull out a few things from that. Number one, Jesus is inaugurating a new age, and he is announcing it right here. The time is coming. Indeed, it's now here where worship is going to look different than it has in the past. Worshiping God no longer has to be in a particular place. The Father is seeking people. He's actually going out and looking for people who will worship him. And that's people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. In John chapter 12, Jesus is talking about his crucifixion, which he, you know, he's, he knows the cross is coming. And he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples to me. Every tribe, every nation. Now, Jesus also says we should come to him in spirit and truth. And I bet... There's a few of you out there who are going, Aha! I knew there was a catch! What is the Spirit and truth? Well, let's drill into that just a little bit. Remember that Jesus says that He is the way and the truth and the life. That's chapter 14, verse 6. We worship the Father through the Son, and we can't even get to the Father except through the Son. The Father draws us to the Son, and the Son then gives us back to the Father. Truth is seeing God as He really is, and it's also seeing us as who we are, and realizing that only through Jesus can we become what God wants us to be. Now, Jesus also sent the Holy Spirit to us when He ascended back into heaven, right? He tells the disciples, they're, they're, they're wanting to hang on to him. He's resurrected. He's actually hanging out with him. Pretty freaky. And he says, I've got to go. And he said, oh, don't go. And he's like, no, 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 I've got to go. And when I'm back in heaven, I will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to be among you. And he did. Weird stuff happened. And the Holy Spirit, who remains with us, is building us as living stones into God's temple of the Spirit and offering spiritual sacrifices that please God. The Spirit continually reveals Jesus to us to the glory of the Father. So we worship in Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and in truth of what Jesus has done. God is calling people to worship Him. He's looking for people to worship Him in spirit and truth. And that's for everybody. Now, I should note, just so that Stephen and Rob don't get real nervous about this, that it is really important to gather as a church together and praise God together. And if you're doubting that, look in the book of Hebrews. It's pretty clear. It's chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Kind of lays it out. Don't give up getting together. Yeah, cool. Got it. So we've got the invitation. Why should we worship Jesus? Well, plainly, because Jesus is worthy of worship. Through Jesus, everything was made that is made. He owns everything and everyone. He cares deeply about us. And he opened the path so that we could be with him. When Jesus died on the cross, remember, at that moment, the curtain in the temple to the Holy of Holies, that place where God's presence lives, was torn from top to bottom to say, Jesus has removed the barrier. You can approach me now through him. We also worship God because God designed us to worship. It's in our deepest parts this urge to worship, and if we don't worship Jesus, we're going to worship something else. It's just how we're made. The Bible tells us that things are going to go way, way better for us, abundantly better for us, if the object of our worship is Jesus, who has shown us God the Father and has redeemed us by his blood. Through Jesus, God calls us into relationship with him, and we can worship him. And worship is also the church's highest calling. It's just what we're supposed to do. Now, there's a Vineyard theologian by the name of Don Williams who likes to say that we become like the thing that we worship. Our object of worship kind of fills us, and it takes us over. So if we worship money, we might become greedy, or stingy, or excessive, or criminal. If we worship power, well, probably will become corrupt, because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Which, by the way, is not a Bible thing, I don't think. Um, If we worship pleasure, then we're going to probably get involved with things like sex or drugs or alcohol. And those things ultimately entrap us. If, however, we worship Jesus, we become more like him. And as we become like him, we become truly free. That's a good thing, to have freedom in Jesus. So in worship, then, we find our highest purpose. When we worship, we're not just singing songs. We're actually entering into the Holy of Holies, and we are ministering to the Lord and He to us. We worship God on the grounds of the shed blood of Jesus. That's the only grounds by which we can come to Him. Okay so if we have now studied why do we worship we should study what is worship and the English word worship comes actually from two words worthship it's ascribing value to ascribing worth to something or someone when we worship god we're telling god how much we value him we are pouring out our affections to him and we're declaring our allegiance to him Worship is a place both of encounter, where we can connect with the living God, no veil separating us, and a place of formation where we can become more like him. The expectation of worship in both the Old Testament and the New Testaments is that it is all-inclusive. It touches every part of our lives, and real worship is giving our lives over entirely to God. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here he says we're to sacrifice our bodies, by which I think he means our everyday lives, our actions, as an act of worship to God. He's not talking about self-mutilation or self-abuse or anything like that, but rather I think he's saying make it your priority to serve God in everything you do. In fact, the word that's translated worship here is the Greek word, uh, I, I butcher Greek, by the way, I don't know it, but the Greek word is latreia, which literally means your temple service. So in offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God, we are performing our temple service. As we give up our own way and adopt God's way, we're serving him in worship. John Wimber made this point many times in his teaching. He said, every act of obedience is worship. Every time we choose another over ourselves, is an act of worship. Every time we decide to lay down our own way in favor of Jesus' way is an act of worship. Worship's how you live. It's where and how you spend your time and your money. Worship manifests itself in obedience, and as you worship in obedience... Your life has meaning and purpose. This kind of worship applies to everything in our lives. It's how we treat the guy that just cut us off in traffic. R- remember back the, the benefits of gratitude being, you know, less anger and aggression? Yeah. Worship is how we treat that guy that just cut us off. And it's how we talk to the person at the grocery store checkout. And it's how we treat our spouse. And, our kids. It's not following a list of do's and don'ts. Obedience comes from somewhere and it comes from knowing that we're secure in God's love because of what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. Obedience springs from true worship, not the other way around. When we encounter the living God, obedience becomes something we want because we begin to want the things that God wants. Conversely, if all we did was follow the list of rules, that probably wouldn't make us want to get closer to the living God. In fact, when I see a list of rules, I want anything, yeah, I just want to get away, isn't it? Worship is also pouring out our affections to God, and he loves that. Some of you might recall the video that Rob played a couple of weeks ago of Tina Williams' TED Talk at the Vineyard Regional Conference. I love that video. Tina said that worship is basically singing love songs sung directly to God. And it's true. In fact, another of the words that gets translated worship in the New Testament means literally to kiss towards. The word in Greek, again, as best I can pronounce it, is proskuneo, in popular usage in jesus's time it probably meant to kneel or to cast yourself on the ground in front of some important dignitary as a show of respect and submission but the origins of the word are fascinating since i got in trouble 20 years ago when i talked about this to a different group i wanted to put my source up here for you all to see and notice i've got the url there so you can check me right the word probably comes from a word that would be used to describe a dog licking its master's hand. Hmm. I love that image. Uh, Believe it or not, I mean I hate it when my dog licks me, but I love that image. We're showering the one who loves us and cares for us with love and affection and total trust. You can find a number of examples of that kind of worship in the New Testament Um, In Luke 7, for instance, there's the story of a sinful woman who crashed a dinner party being given in Jesus' honor. She stayed behind him, weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, and pouring fragrant oil on his feet. Is that weird? Would you feel uncomfortable? Oh, have I put you to sleep? (laughs) Say, that's weird! Thank you so very much. Yeah, she, she showed up, and she was hurting, and she was messy, and she was probably expecting to be rejected. And she did something incredibly humble and really provocative, which kind of demonstrated both her hope and her hopelessness all at once. See, washing the guest's feet was normally assigned to the lowest ranking slave. So she's taking a really low rank. And to wipe his feet with her hair. She would have had to undo her hair, which is really a provocative act. In fact, it was scandalous for her to do what she did. And it was scandalous for Jesus to let her do it. Needless to say, the dinner hosts were not real enthused about this. Uh, They were kind of put off, in fact. But Jesus told them that she had loved much because she had been forgiven much and he says to her your sins are forgiven and sends her away with blessing and then he even laid into his hosts about their attitudes he didn't think of her as unworthy in fact he loved it that she poured herself out for him he loved her just as she was in all of the mess and he loves each of us just as we are in all of our mess he loves us too much to let us stay in our mess. He'll he'll pull us out of it. But just as we are, just as he loved her. And while that passage does not specifically use the word proskuneo, I think it's an almost perfect demonstration of it. So then we should pour out our affections in good times and our bad, and our bad and bad to God who loves us, cuz he is in charge and we can kind of relax. We can be with him in this way. And actually, he loves it. And he loves it even when we pour out our troubles to him. If you want examples of that, remember back in the summer, we we were studying through the book of Psalms. And um, David was really good about pouring out his troubles as well as his praises. OK, so we should pour ourselves out to God. We should serve God in everything we do. What else is required of the worshiper? Well, there are absolutely no prerequisites, except maybe a desire to meet with God. If there is some desire buried deep in you, God is going to honor it. And there is huge power in opening your mouth and lifting your voice in song and deciding to worship regardless of your feelings. I'm going to give you an example from my own life. Sometimes I have bad faith days. You guys have any of those every now and then? Yeah, the the whole idea of God and the sacrifice of Jesus kind of seems really not quite believable. And, you know, I know it's probably not cool for the guy who's preaching the Sunday message to say that, but it's true. And that is in spite of the fact that I have seen God do some pretty incredible things. And regardless of the fact that I have committed my life to Him, and I will follow Him to the end of it, and beyond, um, I still have those kinds of days. I, I call them atheist days. And, I mean, some of you probably have them too, right? In fact, I've heard that even John Wimber, who saw God do absolutely amazing things, sometimes struggled with belief. So there was a time a few years back I was going through a low-faith season. It wasn't a fun time. I mean, I still came to church and I even played on the worship team because I'm committed to you guys and I'm committed to God even if I'm not feeling Him on a particular day. But sometimes I would think, you know, it's like, what am I doing here? What sense does this make? And I, I didn't really feel God, but I desperately needed His touch. There was one weekend my parents were visiting, and my mother came to church with me. She is not a believer, although she grew up in the church. We walked in, and I saw the worship team up front. The guy who was leading that weekend, uh, great guy. He led sometimes. And I just did not connect with his worship. So I walk into the sanctuary. I look up front. I see him, and I think, oh, no. I know some of you guys do that when you see me up front. (laughs) So I sat with my mom toward the back of the sanctuary. And the team started to play this song that I hadn't heard before. And I decided I'd give it a try and I'd sing along anyway. I went, I'm not going to try to sing it to you. In the quiet of my soul, in the stillness, I hear your voice call. I felt this thing in in my gut just go. And I'm overwhelmed. And I'm lost for words to describe you. And my voice started to shake a little bit. Jesus, you're more than a friend. And I just came undone. Suddenly, here I am beside my mom, who I really would like to impress. And I'm a sobbing wreck, you know? Like, oh, Lord, I am so sorry. You are so much more than a friend. And you have been with me all this time. Forgive me. My mother looked over at me a little bit curious, and I I have to tell you, it was pretty hard to explain that to her later. But it was a moment of returning, a moment of healing, and the Spirit of the Lord was in it, and I had done nothing to deserve it. My attitude was all wrong. My expectations were all wrong. I had absolutely no faith that anything was going to happen, but there was this thing deep inside of me that said, God, I really need you. And as I lifted my voice up in song, he met me there, right where I was. That's how God comes. So how then should we worship God? Well, I'll tell you, in that example kind of shows that there is no attitude we can feign or no set of behaviors that we can exhibit that will cause God to show up. We cannot manipulate God. He's interested in our hearts. And He meets us where we are because He is faithful to do that. And we already read a passage where Paul is telling his readers to encourage another, one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There are actually quite a few of those throughout Scripture. Singing, for whatever reason, I've never quite figured it out, singing is an important element of worship. It's powerful to us, and when we sing from the heart, God loves that. There's no magic in the songs we sing, not in the melodies or the words, but as we lift our voices and sing his praise, God will meet us. In the scripture, you also see people expressing themselves physically. Um, Sometimes they lift their hands. I shouldn't do that with tea, I guess. Um, Or they clap, or they dance. I won't demonstrate that for you. Or they shout, or they fall prostrate. That's all okay, as long as it's done to God, for God, and not for show or distraction. Our whole being includes everything, and God wants our whole being mind, emotion, belief, and body. And sometimes expressing ourselves physically puts us in a place where we can more easily connect with what God is doing. Now, if you're one of those people that has trouble with physical expression, and there are many of us, you might want to give it a try. And anyway, doesn't it feel kind of silly if you're saying, Oh God, I lift my hands to you? Our expectation should be that God's going to respond as we do that. Now, Tina Williams made the point beautifully. It's a relationship. And good relationship is a two-way thing. And God wants good relationship with us. And as we draw near and pour ourselves out to God, He will draw near to us. He's promised that in His Word. So, a couple of proof texts, you know, taken out of context. but. Wherever two or three gather together as my followers, there I am among them. That's Matthew 18, verse 20. Or draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. Or Jesus saying, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. This is one of the things the Vineyard brings to the larger church, actually. It's the expectation that God will make himself known. Uh, The Vineyard wasn't started by some spiritual superstars who said, Ooh, let's get in on the next big wave of God! It wasn't. It was actually started by a bunch of burnt-out old Quakers. And they realized that they had become kind of pharisaical, and they had lost the joy of their religion. So they gathered together as a house group in Yorba Linda, California, and they spent hours crying out to God and singing simple songs of love to Him. And they noticed that as they did that, they would sometimes have a really intense experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they noticed that that happened particularly when they sang not songs just about God, but songs to God. The Lord loved the intimate songs. Now, soon others showed up, because this drew people. And they had to throw open the doors and the windows, because there were people on the porch, and they wanted to be able to worship, too. And pretty soon they realized that they had a church. So they founded one. It was kind of unintentional. And that church grew into this worldwide movement that we call the Vineyard today. And that style of worship, singing to God, with the expectation that he will show up, has impacted the church worldwide. Lots of folks that I've met who, you know, when I say, oh, yeah, we go to a Vineyard church, they're like, oh, Vineyard, we do a bunch of those songs. Now, of course, since those early days, like John Wimber playing the keyboard up there, the music has gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot more professional. It's gotten a lot more polished. It's even gotten to the point where people sometimes kind of shop around for the best show on Sunday. And there's a danger in that. The church's worship can't be a concert. I mean, there, there's some goodness to being able to enjoy the music, of course. But the music has to be a vehicle to help us connect with God. It's nothing more, and it can be nothing less. So then, let's wrap up. Uh, worship team, why don't you come on up? It's a minimalist team today, which is actually a really good thing. In conclusion, I would say we should worship with abandon, and that's because God has called all of us to worship him, each one of us, and we find our highest calling and our greatest meaning in worship, and God has made the way clear through Jesus' shed blood and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which continues today. Now, we're going to do worship just a little bit differently today, as Bernadette had told you earlier. We're going to sing a few songs and then dismiss as usual. And if you have kids, you need to go get them, but you can bring them back in here if you want to. And the worship team is going to stay up after we dismiss, and they're going to play a few extra songs for those who want to spend a little bit of extra time in worship. As always, the prayer team will be up here, if if you can kind of come on up. And at any time in this, Um, If you have any needs at all, please come forward. If you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to do that today, we'd be delighted to help you take that step. Or if you said yes, but you've been feeling kind of distant and off in the corner, um, come on forward. We'd be delighted to pray with you to help reconnect you to Jesus. And with that, why don't we stand up and give our worship to the wonderful Lord of Heaven, Amen.